When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joining us now out of the UK from Sky Sports is Ben Ransom. Morning, Ben. How you doing? Yeah, good morning, guys. Good to hear from you. Yeah, mate, thanks very much for, for taking our call. I know it's uh, a little bit later in the evening over there than it is uh, here, but uh, probably a bit warmer than it is here as well, mate. What's what's the weather doing in Blighty at the moment? And can you see summer? Is it on the horizon? <coughs> yeah, I wish. Um, I keep thinking that because obviously the clock's changed, so it's slightly lighter, but it's not got any warmer. I mean, it's still about, I think it peaks at about 12 degrees centigrade at the minute. So, yeah, we're struggling. I'm hoping you're going to send the summer up to us because you must be hanging on to it down there because it's not here. Well, I was going to say it was here last week, but uh, well, I was going to say it depends. An English summer versus a New Zealand summer are two very different things. Uh, it's currently about six degrees here, but our high today is 19 and fine. Right, well, that's uh, like at least nine degrees hotter than our high. So, yeah, you, you can keep it for a little while, but we do need it eventually. Yeah. Hey, hey Ben, uh, Spurs are going through a little bit of turmoil at the moment when, uh, with the interim manager being put in, Christian Stellini. What's what's the news over there? Uh, well, the news is he's gone. Um, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been the slowest um, kind of process ever, really, because he was put in as this kind of like interim uh, appointment after. Obviously, he was part of Antonio Conte's uh, backroom team, his kind of his right hand man. So Conte goes. That was another kind of really slow, long goodbye. Where really the decision probably should have been made a lot quicker. But everyone was digging their heels in. There was obviously you know what these things are like. There was obviously uh, lots of conversations going on behind the scenes about money and all that sort of stuff and how it was going to be in terms of severance pay and that kind of thing. So then. Christian Stellini basically stayed in, uh, stayed in as the head coach, um, because I think obviously, given the stage we are in the season, given the fact that Tottenham are or were certainly uh, on course to at least fight for the top four to the end of the season um, and maybe even get into one of those top four spots. And then they got absolutely humped by Newcastle. And really, the board had no choice but to act and yeah, uh, so Christian Stellini at Tottenham as the head coach is no more. Um, the 6-1 loss, just finally putting a nail in a coffin. But again, it's been a pretty slow and pretty dismal period, whereby, again, you feel this decision itself could have been made a few weeks ago as well. I did see, Ben, a pop-up on my phone this morning from the Manchester United app. Uh, the headline was, news on our next opponents and on their next interim manager, which I thought was a little bit tongue-in-cheek from them because there's the second interim manager uh, of the season. But Ryan Mason is a good story, isn't he? I mean, he, he won four from six last time he was the interim manager. He's still only 31. Uh, you know, a Spurs boy through and through whose career was cut short by that head injury. So it, it, it's good to see him back there. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, look, when we talk about head injury, this was a bad one. This was metal plates. This was 28 screws. It was a load of staples across the top of his head. Uh, it was pretty horrific. Uh, one of those where he took a header right on the side of the fa- of the head. Um, nasty fracture. Uh, doctors had to kind of operate on him. And without being too graphic, it was a pretty nasty procedure he underwent while he was playing for Hull City then. But obviously, you're right, came through the system at Tottenham. Um, and then, as you say, again, has been part of, you know, because of his early retirement, he did his coaching badges, was working within the Tottenham Academy. And then when this happened last time, um, he was promoted and given the kind of interim management job for a little while. And yeah, he did. He did okay, as you say. I mean, he's, it's not, you know, his, his record was good he, because he's a real Tottenham man. I think that that counts in his favour too. It means that, that the players clearly respond better to him. I mean, the thing with Stellini that made no sense to me was he'd come in with Conte. He was very much part of the Conte coaching staff. Uh, so to then keep that, have a change, but then also have a continuity as well it just seemed to make no sense whatsoever so yeah just like when uh, Jose Mourinho was sacked um, this time Ryan Mason's going to step up again 31 now um, and he's obviously someone that Spurs trust he knows the club inside out and he's now got a massive job on his hands to try if he can uh, and get Tottenham into that top four I mean, it looks very very difficult but I suppose you have to say look they're playing um, well certainly they're playing United and Liverpool who are teams around them in that race for the top four. So I suppose if they, if he can turn it around, there's every opportunity they can still make it in, albeit unlikely at this stage. Yeah, I mean, they've played more matches than everybody else. Uh, they're points behind. I think they're, uh, they're what, six points now behind Newcastle after that big 6-1 loss. They've got United and Liverpool next. Um, are they done for top four, do you think? Well, no, I think that's it. I mean, the fact they have got United, Villa, in fact, they've got Villa as well, who Mm. are sixth at the moment. So they've got United, Villa and Liverpool. Obviously, if they win all three of those games and take points off the teams around them as well, there is still that slim chance, isn't there? But you have to say, losing at Newcastle, before the game, the questions to Christian Stellini were all about, is this your last chance to get in the top four? Um, And, uh, you know, he, he obviously... Although he played that down slightly, it was very much about, the, I think he recognised the size of the game. So so to get so convincingly beaten as they were, um, you'd have to say, from here, and given the form of the other teams, it does look unlikely in the extreme. What about uh, Arsenal? Are they choking at the moment? Yeah, I mean, Arsenal, I, I, look, as you know, uh, boys, I, I work in and around Manchester City a lot. So I've seen them have these epic title races. I've seen them, them in Liverpool go head to head till the final day of the season, both getting 90 plus points in closely fought battles that have ultimately been decided in the head to heads between the pair. And it feels like we're going to get that again. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Arsenal, the last three results have been pretty unforgivable. Um the Liverpool one, I suppose, just given the quality that Liverpool possess, you could understand that for them a point at Anfield in that situation wasn't the worst thing. But they were 2-0 up. And Liverpool, when, you know, going into that game, were devoid of confidence themselves. So then to, to do the same thing in back-to-back games against West Ham away, again, a West Ham team that had just played in Europe a few days before. And then against Southampton, the team that's bottom of the league at home this time, I think that's unforgivable, really, for a team that is competing with one of the best Manchester City teams we've seen. And there have been a few of those good teams. Um, Yeah, look, the the gap at the top five points, City have two games in hand. I think we're all expecting City just to win 
all their games from here on in, maybe drop points in one match. Pep Guardiola, by the way, I've spoken to him a few times about this in the last couple of weeks. He's not. Uh, he's very much saying, look, until it's done, it's done. But I think they realise the door has been not only left ajar, but it's open for them now. It's in their hands. And if they do, as I expect them to, beat Arsenal on Wednesday at the Etihad, then really you can't see anything other than City winning the title once again. Yeah, that's very much the way it looks. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, the Liverpool-West Ham game is one thing, but to be 3-1 down at home to Southampton and have to pull it out of the fire with two minutes to go, I guess, uh, showed a little bit of fight, but you're just dropping far too many points uh, in that race for the top, mate. Uh, we should talk FA Cup as well, because as you said, uh, you're very close to uh, Manchester City for Sky Sports. You uh, report on them a lot. It's going to be an all-Manchester final in the FA Cup in June. Uh, what do you think that means? Um, I think it means, I mean, it'd be fascinating, won't it? Um, if we if we take as an assumption that City from this point will win the Premier League title, then they'll go into that FA Cup final against Manchester United. And the narrative is all going to be about the treble, isn't it? Because mm. if City win the Premier League and manage to see off Real Madrid in the Champions League, then they will be, at the time of the FA Cup final, two matches away from emulating the only team to have ever won that particular treble, which was, drumroll, of course, Manchester United uh, in that epic uh, Champions League showdown in Barcelona when they did it in, in 1999. Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League. Now, the fact that United will have the opportunity to potentially deny their rivals from doing that uh, is going to hype the game up even more. I mean... United have shown at Wembley again that they are formidable in the big matches. Now, they've had a couple of slightly off results, haven't they? Um, particularly, in fact, the form since the winning the EFL Cup has been relatively poor. But that Sevilla game in particular was uh, was pretty horrendous. Uh, both the home leg when they were winning comfortably, cruising through to throw away a two-goal lead themselves, and then to go away and just be so shambolic. So Eric Ten Hag clearly, I think, recognises within the squad he does have some issues. But then I think they proved against Brighton, who are a very good football side themselves, that again, if they have all uh, their best players, certainly that, that key midfield, if they're all on the pitch and Marcus Rashford up front, then they, they are a team that is very formidable. And they will obviously be hoping they have as many of those key players fit to face City as they can. But it's the first time, remarkably, there's ever been an all-Manchester Cup final between United and City. So, yeah, they are fierce. Uh, fierce it's a fierce derby rival anyway. But when you uh, multiply that by Wembley and multiply it again by the possibility of United denying City the treble, it'll be a pretty uh, a pretty epic occasion, I think. There are a few echoes here for me, Ben, and I don't. I mean, you're not you're not as as uh, as old as I am, so you might not remember this. But I I I remember my first FA Cup final that I watched was Manchester United versus Liverpool in 1977, and Liverpool had won the league, and they had what was then the European Cup final to come, uh, and they were in the FA Cup final, so they were going for the tri- what would have been the first ever treble in '77, and United who were I think only a year back from. Being, uh, from having been relegated, they'd only just got back into the old first division, uh, were massive underdogs and, and beat Liverpool that day 2-1 uh, to deny Liverpool the treble. So some, some, some sort of echoes there, mate. You, you might have to get Lou McCurry and Sammy McElroy on to, to relive that with you. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that that they're the kind of um, it's those kind of historical occasions, and this will be one that when you're kind of living and watching um, as we are now as you know sports broadcasters and the like, and you you follow, you don't quite know how it's going to settle in the midst of time. You know it's something special, but it's only when you like you say you, time forwards on and you look back, you think, wow, that was a moment. And I think, but I think you're spot on. It is that moment. And um, in terms of the rivalry, it, you know, Liverpool and United still stands probably just mm. ahead of anything else in this country. Mm. But City, because of the way they've gate crashed into, you know, the top four in the last few seasons, because of the way they've been so successful in the Premier League and purely geographically, because of the fact they share a city with United, they're just down the road from Liverpool, who have been their closest rivals over the last few years. That northwest kind of melting pot is really is really something. The games, the derby matches are huge. Um, obviously, we've seen United go to City and upset them when they've been trying to win titles. So the beautiful thing about a derby is you can't just look at two teams on paper and say X is going to win because they're better. Because as you know, there's so much more emotion to it. And for the fans, I mean, this is the thing I I, I, I love the idea of. I'm, I already saw some City fans as soon as United won saying, look, they know they've got the better team, right? They know they're pushing for the treble. But the message on Twitter was, I can't work out whether it's a really great thing that we're playing Manchester United in the FA Cup final or literally the worst thing in the world. If they go and win, best thing ever, isn't it? Beat your rivals, bloody their nose, carry on towards the treble. If you lose, you're not going to hear the end of it all summer uh, and maybe not for another decade. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a huge occasion if it happens. And a lot of, of course, that we're all talking again, hypothetically, as though City have won the Premier League and they're in a Champions League final. That may still not happen. But right now, it certainly is a mouthwatering prospect. You'd be turning the lights off um, when, you're heading, when you're heading down to Wembley, uh, leaving Manchester with City and, and United going down there. Will it be another day where Teddy, the likes of Teddy Sheeran and Gunnar, Gunnar Solskjaer um, scored that? You know, that, oh, there was a, a 99 Gunnar Solskjaer scored that goal late in the extra time to win the Champions League. Um, do, you think, yeah, that you, was, do you think United that could pull trouble, something yeah. off like that? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't see why not. I mean, that's what these occasions are about, right? These big occasions call for dramatic moments. This is why I love football at this time of the year, when it actually matters. Because most of my job, obviously, is following the Premier League. So for, for three, four, five months of the season, as much as it might feel like it's the biggest game in the world, there's not quite the same things riding on it. Because the things that you see when the games really matter, which is why I love World Cups, I love European Championships. I love the latter stages of the Champions League because the best players in the world are suddenly in moments where the pressure finally means something to them. City can easily win 10 games in a row in the Premier League between kind of November and February. But all of a sudden, like throw them in like last season against Real Madrid in that Champions League semi-final where they're cruising through. Riyad Mahrez has put them further ahead in the Bernabeu. They're two goals up. They're coming up to the last minute. This is the best team that England have seen for a decade. And Q Real Madrid launching some astonishing comeback, turning it around two last minute goals, was scoring an injury to, or an extra time, I should say, and they're out. And they're looking, you can imagine the dressing room looking at each other. What on earth happened? And it's only games like this that matter when that sort of stuff is really on the line. That mentality goes out the window. And I love that about sport. And I love about football this time of year. And exactly what you say is right. United did it at the death in that Champions League final. They've always clung on to that in their history. The players are well aware of the history they're trying to emulate. And because of that, it makes it a fascinating occasion where literally anything can happen. 
Uh, ben, we saw Wrexham get uh, promoted into League Two as well with a record points haul in the National League. Um, they've gone great guns under their new owners, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. Do you think um, they have a ceiling? Or where, where do you think the ceiling is for that club under these two? I mean, I think the ceiling's probably... I mean, look, they, they will be confident of back-to-back promotions. And the reason I say that is because irrespective of the backing, irrespective of the extra money uh, that the kind of Hollywood owners, the Disney Plus series and everything has brought to the club, the interest, the fans that are turning up, other teams have done it. Much smaller teams than Wrexham without any of the fanfare have done exactly that because getting out of the, the National League, formerly the conference, is a tough division to get out of. Really, really, really tough. Only two teams go up, one automatically, and then the playoffs can be a lottery. Um, the fact they've managed to get out and the fact they've had to get a record points tally to beat Notts County to the title is remarkable. But they'll be confident because you can imagine the manager's going to get backing. They will, you know, they can afford to keep the lion's share of this squad together, which, let's be honest, the squad is too good for the National League. You know, they did it by getting in big name players. That team in League Two as well should be decent. But every time you step up, this is why English football is so fantastic because the pyramid is so strong. All the way down, there are teams who are really good, really well organised, really well coached, who have big, big grounds, big crowds, um, history. Um, and because of that, every single step forward is going to be hard. And look, you wouldn't bet against them making it back to back promotions. But then they come into League One. And look, you know, I'm a Charlton fan, right? So Charlton have been marooned in League One for what feels like an eternity. And this is a team that was in the Premier League, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Premier League team now marooned in that division. Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, these are big teams at that level. So all of a sudden, there is already a ceiling. Now, once you break through that, you're in the championship and then you are in a lottery because then it's the best league in the, in the sense that it's so competitive and you've got that potential for that one ticket and you can make it to the Premier League. But that's such a long way off. Salford City, I suppose, are the, the nearest example where they've got kind of celebrity owners, the likes of Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes. They took that club from non-league up through the leagues and they, you know, they've kind of reached a bit of a ceiling right now. Um, they've struggled to push on further uh, than League Two. So it is a real challenge and you're coming up against some really, really well-run football teams. But Wrexham do have a history. They will have support. The fact they've tapped into something global means that fans will go. So they'll have that extra revenue. I wouldn't bet against them getting out of League Two, but I do think League One has suddenly become a real kind of culture shock when they get that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, you mentioned Notts County. Uh, they have, uh, you know, have have uh, had over 100 points as well. Do you think that that the size of uh, the the points haul that they've had this year might fast track a change that we might see three down, three up from League Two into the National League? The thing is, I can't see it. And the reason I say that is purely because this has been an argument for a little while because it's not necessarily the point. I know these two teams have set a new benchmark in terms of points. It's been unbelievable. Um, But there's always two or three teams and there's always one team in particular who doesn't manage to get out of the division, if if that makes sense. You know, there's always always one team who you'd expect to be who either just got relegated or is a traditionally um, a traditional big relatively big English football team that just struggles and struggles to get out. And, you know, it would take something quite substantial for the EFL to agree that three of their teams, because let's not forget different organisations, three of their teams would drop out of the EFL every season. It, it takes so much more. And I don't know what the votes required uh, would take to actually make it happen, but it just strikes me as being 
incredibly difficult uh rule changes like that it's, it'd be the same as say for example oh because you know because the the premier league is you know we, we want to make it more exciting we'll change that to either four teams go down or conversely change it to two because you know we don't think it's fair that more premier league teams are, are, are potentially facing relegation and i suppose you know the best example i guess is wrexham last year let's not forget they were in that division last year they had the same hollywood owners last year they had the similar playing stuff last year and yet Stockport County were the team that won it, wrecks them into the playoffs, and they were denied by Grimsby, weren't they? So, you know, that's what makes that division so exciting, but that's also what makes it so tough as well. All right, mate. Uh, before I let you go, um, other knock-on effects? I mean, are we going to see Robert Downey Jr. by Chester City or Kevin Bacon make an <laughs> offer on Barnet? You know, uh, uh, do, you, do you think that you, you might get some more offshore investment at that level? I mean, if you're going to do it, that's the level to do it. I suppose the only thing I would say is that it's kind of been done now. Like, you know, there was the opportunity because of the series behind it. Look, obviously, the Sunderland Till I Die series that Netflix did was the one that kind of opened the doors for this. And there was a real interest. In it. And it, it comes from within the clubs and the clubs can see it an opportunity and Sunderland obviously got such a profile around the world from that series, albeit a lot of it was kind of like people almost poking fun at what was going on inside the club. Since they've done that, they've obviously progressed through the leagues themselves and they're in a much better place than when they started. Then obviously we get all these kind of the Amazon style glorified PR machines where you see, you know, Man City, Arsenal, etc., etc. That That's slightly different because that's inside the Premier League club. But a lot of that is just PR. That's like effectively club cameras really showing you what they want to show you. The beauty of this is the romance and and, you know, Disney Plus have had their go at it. And I just wonder I mean, where else is there a turn? But, of course, if you're going to do it, that's the league to do it because you can spend what you want at that level. You can build infrastructure. You can have success on a relatively modest budget compared to what it would take, for example, if you went into a team in the championship now and tried getting in the Premier League. And you can build something. And Salford City, I suppose, did it with the BBC series even before that. So, yeah, it's the level to do it. So, yeah, if anyone down in New Zealand, any uh, budding kind of multimillionaires or uh, celebrities want to get involved, I would recommend the National League. Someone like maybe a Halifax. That would be a mm. nice team to go and go and buy. Yeah, get, get, them, get amongst Halifax Town, the shaman. They need, they need a bit of coin. They've had a, had a bit of a rough uh, last 15 years or so. Good stuff, Ben. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Uh, we'll let you go and, and crack on with that uh, bottle of Beaujolais or whatever it is that you've got open. Yep, perfect. Yep, there is a glass calling right now. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no worries, mate. Anytime. Ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK with us here on SENZ. This is uh, Breakfast with Ricardo and Kippy. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrance.